Well, in our series here in Mark, we have going, been going through the preaching of the gospel in which Christ engages in, in the fourth chapter with respect to parables. We come this morning to the last parable in this section, a parable that I am sure that all of you are very familiar with, the parable of the mustard seed. So if you would turn to Mark chapter 4, verses 30 through 32. Let us hear from God's infallible word. Mark chapter 4, verses 30 through 32. And he said, with, that, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, our Savior ends with this parable. May we all understand this morning how great it is to be in the kingdom of God and how wonderful. We are blessed to be in the greatest kingdom that will endure forever and ever in which Jesus, our King, serves the church and ourselves. In Christ's name. Amen. Another parable about show, sowing and scattering seed. It seems that Jesus is really fixated upon using the simile of the seed in relationship to his teaching about the kingdom of God. When we really think about it, we should not, this should not concern us at all. Jesus' focus upon the seed is before us in each of these parables because the seed is the heart and the soul of how the message of the kingdom of God will go forward by virtue of the coming of the Son of God in history. The seed represents the word of God 
the good news of the gospel advancing in the world and demanding sinners to come to Jesus in repentance and faith. Jesus and his gospel are the only hope for a fallen humanity and a fallen creation. So as we focus this morning on the parable of the mustard seed, There is a different focus for Mark's incorporation of this parable in his narrative than in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. This particular parable appears in all three of those Gospels. Matthew opens his edition of the parable with only the words, the kingdom of God is like... In Matthew 13, 31, the kingdom is like a mustard seed. Luke opens his edition of the parable with two questions. What is the kingdom of God like? And secondly, to what shall I compare it? Luke 13, verse 18. Luke presents the parable as the kingdom of God being like the mustard seed and also as an illustration that nothing can compare to the kingdom of God. But as we return to our text here in Mark, you will notice that Mark presents the parable only as an illustration of comparison, verse 30 of your text. Mark is directing the reader to focus upon the importance, the importance of comparing the kingdom in two areas. First, the comparison from the beginning to the end of Jesus' kingdom has no rival. Secondly, the comparison between Jesus' kingdom and other temporal kingdoms on earth has no rival. The concept of comparison is not foreign to any of us here this morning. We are always comparing things in our lives, are we not? As consumers, we compare products to buy. We, we also compare offers. Maybe many of you have done this in terms of employers. We compare the best means for education. We compare athletic teams that will receive our support. We will make comparisons among human beings to be our friends or not be our friends, to be a spouse or one that should not be my spouse. Well, Jesus brings each of us into this challenging, a challenging position. What kingdom do you wish to commit yourself? Will you seriously have ears to hear, to compare the kingdom of God in which Jesus and his word reigns forever? Or do you prefer some kingdom, some empire, 
some nation in the world keeping in mind that the Egyptian, Greek, and Roman empires no longer exist. Maybe you prefer to live in a fantasy and a mythical empire or kingdom like that portrayed in the Star Wars films or a Marvel film. Well, are you ready for the kingdom in which Jesus is placing before you? One that is like no other kingdom. Is your heart open to be fully committed to and blessed in Jesus' kingdom so profoundly placed before you in this very, very brief parable? Let us return to the first aspect. The comparison from the beginning to the end of Jesus' kingdom. It has no rival. As we open our hearts to this parable, Jesus directs our attention to a mustard seed. That's the main visual of grain being sown on the ground. And stereotypical Jewish thinking from rabbinical literature at the time of Christ, the mustard seed was viewed as the smallest of all seeds. Verse 31 of your text. It was an extremely tiny seed. And yet its growth and height was absolutely remarkable. In good conditions, the plant, the bush, could grow almost 10 or more feet. Now the focus of Mark's narrative is that Jesus is comparing how small the kingdom begins, the smallest of seeds, very tiny to how high it grows, larger than all garden plants, even producing Large branches. Verse 32. Grasping. Grasping the beginning of Jesus' kingdom in the context of Mark's own gospel here. God direct, direct revelation to the children of Israel is absolutely silent from the prophecy of Malachi to John crying in the wilderness. Over 400 years, there is absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. By the providence of God, this is done on purpose. Then out of nowhere, the revelation of God is once again communicated within the borders of Israel. The last Old Testament prophet appears in and of all places, a barren wilderness, baptizing in the river of Jordan. 
in preparation for the kingdom to come is a man preaching a baptism of repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Chapter 1, verse 4. This man is clothed with camel's hair, wears a leather belt around his waist. He eats locusts and wild honey. Let me see if I've got this right. <laughs> Let's see if I've got this right. The one who comes to prepare the world for the largest, the greatest, the strongest, the most important kingdom that will touch the landscape of the earth begins with this odd figure in the wilderness. Next, we are to believe that the message that will be inaugurate, well, that will inaugurate this kingdom and will eventually have dominion is the proclamation and the activity of baptizing repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Are these his weapons in battle for the coming of the kingdom? As far as understanding what king, what the king, a kingdom is, and how a kingdom is to sustain itself on earth, it seems that its description only gets weirder. <laughs> this man in the wilderness preparing us for the coming of the king of this kingdom says that the weapons of the coming kingdom will also be baptism with the addition of the Holy Spirit. Chapter 1, verse 8. Furthermore, the one coming to usher the kingdom of God does not come from the city of Jewish royalty, for example, Jerusalem, in fact, he comes from a town that is so tiny. <laughs> you see, watching the analogy here to the mustard seed? So tiny. <laughs> it is so tiny that it did not appear on most maps. It is that insignificant. It's Nazareth. And where is Nazareth? It's in Galilee of the Gentiles. In Gentile country. Not even in Jewish country. Being baptized and armed with the spirit of God. Jesus Christ, the son of God, is driven into the wilderness to confront his arch opponent to his kingdom, Satan. It is a spiritual king. Why isn't he sent into the wilderness to confront Rome? Isn't that the real battle? Isn't that where the thoughts of humans reside? He comes out of the wilderness ready for the task of showing the manifestation, the revelation of his kingdom under the enduring ministry of his angels. 
Oh, his kingdom is of an entirely different nature. It is a kingdom that is of the ultimate spiritual battle between the principalities and the powers of the air. It is about a kingdom that is defined by the triune God of heaven and earth, which is described by the righteousness and holiness of our God, as opposed to the father of evil and lies, the evil one. Jesus announces immediately the nature of his kingdom as he begins his ministry of good news in Galilee of the Gentiles, preaching the gospel of the kingdom in chapter 1, verse 14. Yes, he proclaims that the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. It is about to start. It is upon you. And to be in this kingdom, you must repent and believe in the gospel of good news that is found only in the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. (laughs) What kind of kingdom is this? Where is its land mass? Where are its boundaries. (laughs) There are none given by Jesus. It is very tiny and insignificant in the way human sinful creatures think of a kingdom. This is a spiritual kingdom It resides in the heart of the physical created persons created in the image of God in which the spiritual and the imagery of the natural are integrated to live godly lives. From the tiniest beginning, the gospel of the kingdom will possess by means of its chief weapon, What is the chief weapon? The preaching of the word in the apostles and in the ordained men of the church until the end of history. At Christ's second coming, at the consummation of the ministry of the preaching of the word in Christ, this tiny mustard seed will grow to be the largest and greatest kingdom ever witnessed in God's creation as it makes its way to the world to come. This tiny seed, the tiny seed ends in its fullest capacity of growth as the treasured residence for birds to make their restful nests in its large branches in the shade. The spiritual and the natural in a picture of heavenly glory For all who love Jesus' kingdom, his church, and his word. We are at the very heart 
of supernatural religion in these parables. No kingdom can rival its eternal and everlasting message, content, immensity, value, humility, centered in its Lord and King Jesus, the everlasting Christ for his elect people. Now, secondly, the comparison between Jesus' kingdom and other temporal kingdoms on earth has no rival. To repeat from the introduction, the Egyptian empire came to an end. The ancient Greek civilization, which extended from 1600 B.C. to 146 B.C., including the vast landmass of Alexander the Great's empire that accumulated over 12 to 13 years, it all came to an end. We often hear the phrase, the rise and the fall of the Roman Empire. It came to an end. In the modern era, we know the phrase, the sun never sets on the British Empire, referencing 1815 through 1915 and its vastness throughout the world. It has come to an end. Perhaps let us come closer to home with respect to the Christian, a Christian empire, that which is referred to as the Holy Roman Empire within the dramatic territories in Europe in which the church and state are viewed as a Christian empire from Charlemagne in 800 AD until it was dissolved by Napoleonic Wars in 1806. Likewise, it came to an end. Some empires, kingdoms, and nations can last a long time, but they all have an end point. They are temporal, meaning that they will not last forever. They are of the earth, and fallen humanity will put all their earthly aspirations into making the governments of this world into their own image. As my Christian philosophy professor said to me in college, or said to the whole class in college, on the day of judgment, this statement has always stayed with me, on the day of judgment, the United States will go over Niagara Falls like every nation, because only Jesus' kingdom is eternal. If you have any question about the end of all nations in this world, 
those in the past, the present, and the future. May I invite you and challenge you to read and meditate upon chapters 13 through chapter 26 of the book of Isaiah. It is enlightening, considering that text in relationship to Jesus' kingdom parable, even the parable of the mustard seed that is before you. In fact, there is an amazing text in the Old Testament that closely parallels what Jesus is describing in the parable of the mustard seed. It comes as a dream revelation from God to David. No. <laughs> How about Solomon? <laughs> no. Not at all. Well, who did it come to? Of all people, it comes to a pagan king in a pagan nation. You all know his name. Nebuchadnezzar. Now spell it. No, I'm just... <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar. The nation of Babylon. In this case, the dream, it is a tree that grows strong, that reaches to heaven, visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves are beautiful, fruitful, abundant, and has food for all. The beasts of the field find shade under the tree. And the birds in the heavens live in its branches. And all of humanity fed from it. Daniel 4, 11 and 12. But as the dream continues, the Lord of heaven and earth reveals that the tree will be chopped down. Leaves. Branches, fruit will be destroyed. Birds and beasts flee. And all is left. You know what is all that is left? All that is left is a stump with its roots in the earth because it is nothing but a false kingdom of the earth. Humans, in union with their sinful nature with Adam, love the quest for a kingdom, a nation, a government, under the false pretenses of what they can deliver. Human governments are ruled by self-partisan prejudices to earthly and human desires and power. Again, let me remind you, congregation, that nothing presently occurring by government leaders in every nation on earth, including our nation, should surprise you. Why would any true Christian hope in the leaders of this world 
Have we not read the scriptures about the very covenant people of God? What do we constantly read about the kings of the northern kingdom of Israel? The supposed covenant children of God. Do we not remember the phrase that the king walked in the way of Jeroboam and in his sin which he made Israel to sin? Or another phrase commonly used in relationship to those northern kingdoms, kings, he made Israel to sin. Furthermore, most of the kings of the southern kingdom of Judah are not good. In most cases, when there is a good king, it is followed by a bad king. Congregation, allow this truth to lay heavy in your heart with the northern kingdom of Israel already destroyed. The southern kingdom in their sin is taken into captivity into Babylon. And to whom and to whom does God give his infallible revelation about the false promises and arrogance that human governments deliver on earth? He gives it to a pagan king, Nebuchadnezzar, in this incredible Similarity to Jesus' description of his kingdom in the parable of the mustard seed. Yes, compare the passage, Daniel 4, 11 and 12, with our text this morning. Nebuchadnezzar's kingship and kingdom is placed before us in the providence of God on purpose as the are you listening as the representation of the deceiving kingdoms on the earth that have the image of being an antichrist The distinct contrast to Nebuchadnezzar's kingship and kingdom is presented in the most dramatic way in Nebuchadnezzar's first dream. Back in Daniel chapter 2 verse 44. And in the days of those kings the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. Nor shall that kingdom be left to another people. And Daniel will expand on this glorious eternal kingdom that will never be destroyed in his own dream given to him by the Lord in that beautiful, splendid chapter in Daniel chapter 7 about the future kingdom that's coming in Jesus. In Jesus. You are seeing the tie between the revelation of Daniel 
the revelation to Daniel, I should say, and the parable of the mustard seed. Are you not? Only Christ's kingdom truly delivers the people of God out of captivity. Brings us out of what? Exile into this world, into Jesus' heavenly world. Note the contrasting picture of the humility, the humility that is prepared here in terms of revelation of Jesus' kingdom. The mustard seed grows to be larger than the plants in a garden. Nebuchadnezzar's dream, Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom grows as a tree that reaches into the heavens. In Jesus's garden plant, not pictured here as the world that's given to Nebuchadnezzar for the sake of the humility of Christ's kingdom, the elect birds in Christ's church. By God's grace, will make their nests in the branches of Jesus' kingdom. Unlike, unlike any king on earth, there is no rival with Jesus and his kingdom. No rival. Jesus, Jesus is your keeper. Jesus is your shade on your right hand. Because of Jesus, the sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. In Jesus' kingdom, you are kept from all evil. Jesus keeps your life. Jesus keeps your going out and your coming into the presence of God forever and ever. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that a wonderful kingdom? Don't you have a wonderful Savior in Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we are thankful so much for the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and that He is our host in a kingdom that is greater than all the kingdoms of the nations. What a beautiful kingdom it is. 
It's weapons of the gospel which penetrates to the hearts of men and women throughout the ages cannot be forsaken. O Lord, preserve thy people as we ourselves walk each day. Bless us in Christ's name. Amen.